This evening is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Juliet. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we ask that you would open the scriptures to our hearts and minds now not for the sake of um, information or um, entertainment, but that we would be deeply and lastingly changed by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title I've given for tonight's uh, talk is The Debt You Could Never Repay and the Only Right Response. The Debt You Could Never Repay and the only right response. I wonder though, how does the subject of debt make you feel? Nearly always when we think of debt, we tend to think of it as a bad thing, don't we? Um, it's, uh, you know, we can be in debt to the bank, where with an overdraft or a loan or a credit card. We can be in debt to a family member or a friend. Uh, my sister texted me on the way here saying, hey, cough up, you owe me money for a family weekend that she'd booked ages ago. Some people rationalize their debt as well, don't they? They compare themselves with the people around them and what they think their financial situation might be. And to sort of think, well, yeah, I might be in debt, but I'm not in as much debt as that person. And then still others of us can struggle to make ends meet and feel out of control of our debt. Well, the scriptures teach that just as we can experience financial 
debt. There is such a thing as spiritual debt. And every day we walk to the spiritual cash machine and we withdraw from it again and again and again. And the way that we increase our spiritual debt is not by buying a pair of shoes on Amazon. It's not by going on a spending spree on Oxford Street. The way that we increase our spiritual debt, the Bible teaches, is by the sins that we commit against God. We may commit sins against other people, but the Bible teaches that ultimately all sin is against God himself. Against you and you alone, says the psalmist, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he says that after committing adultery with Bathsheba. Our passage tonight teaches that the degree to which we know and uh, feel and accept our spiritual debt to God is to that same degree how we will experience greater levels of joy, um, of love flowing out of us, and a sense of purpose in life. One of my all-time favorite quotes is from Tim Keller, and he said, he said this, the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. So let's look at the debt you could never repay and the only right response. And this passage is going to teach us that uh, when we see the sheer kind of towering size of our debt that Jesus has forgiven, that three things happen when we've really got hold of that. Firstly, there's emotion. Secondly, there's action. And thirdly, there's liberation. Emotion, action, and liberation. So that's where we're going. So firstly, emotion. Verses 36 to 38, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So they'd be lying down on their side, on their left side, and eating with their right hand. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, we aren't told the name of this amazing woman, But we are told that she has encountered Jesus and she is deeply moved. There's real emotion as she sees the size of the debt that she could never repay, but that Jesus has. And she cries so many tears, it says, that his feet are soaked. This is a deluge of emotion in response to what Jesus has done for her. In those days... Um, a banquet was actually a public event and needy people were permitted to attend and ask for food and leftovers. That was normal. And it's likely that this woman had had some kind of encounter with Jesus before. We can't be sure, but it says she came prepared with an alabaster jar, which suggests a prior encounter with Jesus. It might have been listening to his preaching Uh, It may have been a personal conversation that we don't have on record. It's highly likely that she used to be a prostitute. So when it says a woman who lived a sinful life, 
Um, that's how people in those days would have understood that term. But Jesus has evidently done something miraculous in her, hasn't he? And she shows up to honour him. And she's overcome with emotion as she does that. And the parable Jesus goes on to tell uh, shows us why she's so emotional, doesn't it? I mean, starting at verse 41, it says, he tells a story of two people who owe money to a moneylender. One owes 50 and the other owes 500. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, says Jesus, so he forgave them the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That phrase, I suppose, is interesting. Hinting, he's reluctant to concede the point Jesus is putting on him right now. I suppose the one who had the debt, bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? This amazing woman sees the sheer size of the debt and the sin that Jesus has forgiven her, that she's overcome with emotion. Now, Jesus is not saying here that the, um, the Pharisee's debt to God is somehow uh, smaller than the woman's debt. No, he's setting up a principle of salvation here that the degree to which you see the enormity of your debt to God's gr mercy, and that's true for every one of us, to that degree you will be full of thanksgiving and praise and emotion. Why? Well, because nobody is forgiven just a bit. Jesus' death was not required for some sins. No, his death was required for all of our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says the Apostle Paul, and are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. When we see the enormity of the debt that Jesus has cancelled out, this woman teaches that we haven't fully understood it until we experience it. Now, it's a bit like chocolate. You know what makes for a, a good chocolate bar, whatever your brand is. We can study the ingredients, we can watch chocolate being made, we can handle it and pick it up. But that is very different to experiencing the taste of chocolate in your mouth. Or it's a bit like marriage. You know, I can read my marriage certificate and say, well, yeah, I'm married to Nikki. This was the date that it happened. These were the witnesses. But it's an altogether different experience to enjoy a date night with her. And God is in the business not just of truth. No, God is in the business of truth on fire, truth as experienced. He wants us to see, as that song puts it, you know, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not claim. This is an experienced reality. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. I want to say this, that we are a church that is not afraid um, of emotion in the presence of God. It is okay to feel deeply when you worship. 
And it's okay to feel so overwhelmed by God's grace to you that you cry. It's also okay if you don't feel anything. But emotion isn't anything to feel ashamed of. Sometimes it happens in prayer ministry, and it's always a beautiful thing when God does that. My, My most powerful encounters with God nearly always cause me to cry. Uh, Now, just before I came to St. Michael's, I listened to a really helpful conversation between Rupert and his friend, um, who was the vicar at St. John's Hampton Wick, Jerry Fields. And I think you can find it on our YouTube channel somewhere. I'd highly recommend it. And Jerry spoke really movingly in that conversation about how when the Holy Spirit gets into your life, it's like your emotions get unclogged. Um, It's like all the junk and the pain and the mess and the shame that we push down for whatever reason is kind of comes out and is healed in the process. I think he said at one point it was I felt like I could feel again that I wasn't numb anymore. And I imagine there's quite a few of us who struggle with feeling emotionally numb sometimes for whatever reason. And we'd absolutely love to pray for you, that you would experience the love of God poured out in your heart tonight, if you'd like that. And whatever the reason is, it can be lies we've internalized that might cause that. It can be pain from bereavement or abuse or stress. It can be shame that's casting a shadow over our soul. Verse 38, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This isn't for the super spiritual. This is just what God does when he's at work in someone's life. When we see the debt that we could never repay, it causes emotion, and that's okay. The passage also teaches that we can expect to be moved to action. When Jesus criticizes the Pharisee called Simon, he doesn't just take issue with his heart. He also takes issue with his behavior. There's three repetitions in verses 44 to 46 of the phrase, um, you did not. So he says, you did not give me any water for my feet. Now, not everybody would get that sort of treatment but it would be expected if you were regarded as an important guest, an honored guest. And he's saying, you didn't do that for me. You did not give me a kiss, verse 44. You did not put oil on my head, verse 46. He's saying this, Simon, you had the savior of the world at your house for dinner and you failed to give him the party that he deserves. You know, imagine if the fuss if the king came over to your place for dinner. You'd go all out, wouldn't you? You'd plan. You'd get the best possible ingredients. You'd get the posh napkins out. don't know if other people have that. We have posh napkins that come out, so you'll know if they come out that you're special. You know, you'd get the house scrupulously clean and tidy. But Simon's actions show that he's not experienced the grace of God. He hasn't seen who Jesus is. He calls him a prophet, but Jesus is so much more than a prophet. 
and in in eye-catching contrast to the list of the Pharisees' hospitality failures, Jesus says that this woman has honored him by her actions and that her actions are reflective of her heart, a forgiven heart. He says, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, she has not stopped kissing my feet. He says, she poured perfume on my feet. It's teaching, isn't it? When we see the size of the debt that we owe to Jesus, it, it energizes a certain kind of action. And the kind of action that wants to give to Jesus our absolute best. Not to earn his forgiveness, but because we've received his forgiveness already. And because we long to see him honored, to see him accorded the highest and the best place in our lives. And then earlier it says halfway through verse 37 that she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. There was planning, almost like she'd thought to herself, how can I thank him? How can I bring as much honor as possible to him? And there's no doubt, is there, that this small and seemingly foolish action is what delights the heart of Jesus. Now, when I say that God's mercy leads to action, giving our best, you might think that I'm talking about, you know, big dramatic actions, you know, selling everything you've got, leaving your job and going off and being a hermit or something. I don't know what comes to your mind. But this passage teaches it's not like that, actually. Jesus values the small and seemingly foolish actions. This is a small jar of perfume. It's a bit like um, my younger sister, May, and my niece, Frankie, made this for me over the Christmas season. It's a birth certificate for my Siberian cat called Nala. So it says, uh, birth certificate, first name, Nala. Second name, Pumpkin. I didn't choose that, but I love that, so I've kept it. Last name, White. Birthday, 23rd of June, 2016. Owners, Matty White and Nikki White. And there's a picture of it at the bottom. But the reason I love this present is not because it's impressive or valuable. It's not. You know, it's not the next Picasso, is it? But I love it because they created it. I love it because it shows their heart. And God doesn't want professionalized or polished obedience. He wants obedience from the heart. And that's a challenge because we do things very neatly, don't we, in Chester Square? It's very clean and sparkly. I remember when uh, Ali first came and she said, it's so clean everywhere. Everything's so perfect. But God loves small, seemingly foolish gestures that come from the heart. And when we see the debt that we could never repay, it does lead to authentic action. So what could that look like for you and for me? It's not about the big things. It's the small, seemingly unimportant things that delight the heart of God when we consecrate them to him. Here's some examples. Instead of doom scrolling on your daily commute, maybe put in some headphones and listen to worship music and lift your spirit so when you arrive at the office, you're full of the Holy Spirit. 
or when that person comes to your mind who's a bit needy and annoying. Instead of only hanging out with the people who benefit you, to say, actually, yeah, I'm going to text them and say, let's go for a coffee. Or when work threatens to dominate all of your mental energy and you feel, I don't have anything else to give to my home group. It's actually, to say, actually, I'm going to trust the Lord and obey him. And I'm committed to this, even though I'm tired. It could just be a question of money and saying, you know, I refuse to be controlled by my desire for more and more and more stuff. So I'm just going to give to a cause that furthers the kingdom of God. And money is a great one because you can do it in a small way, in an anonymous way, as a way that's just between you and the Lord of saying, Jesus, you come first to me above absolutely everything. When we see the debt we could never repay, it causes emotion, it causes action. And finally, it leads to liberation. So starting at verse 47, it says, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Well, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's one thing, isn't it, to be forgiven by Jesus in private. But it's quite a different thing altogether to be forgiven and commissioned by Jesus in public. And how healing and life-changing that must have been for this woman. Just think for a moment of the weight and social, of social disgrace that she would have carried as an ex-prostitute in a traditional culture like that. And it's obvious she faced that, wasn't it? The, the, the Pharisee entertains prejudice about her. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. But Jesus isn't content just to forgive her privately and shoo her, shoo her away. He liberates her publicly for everyone to hear and see. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It reminds me of that beautiful story that, um, that Mike told um, at Soul Survivor, actually, where of a lady who reached, I think it was a year milestone of being alcohol and drugs free after struggling with addiction. And how she was applauded in the congregation with tears in her eyes and can't remember if it was her or someone else who had been struggling with that, came up to him afterwards and said, so that's how you treat people like me here. There's a spiritual home for me here. It's a similar thing, isn't it? She wasn't just forgiven in private, she was liberated publicly. And Jesus is still in the business of doing that. It might not be drugs and alcohol for you, but we all need to hear the words of Jesus said to us individually and publicly. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's what church is about. Church is a public event, isn't it? And we've got an opportunity to do exactly that. And uh, when the band comes up to play, 
there will be people who would love to pray for you. And um, if you would like to, do just come over to my left, your right, and we'd absolutely love to pray for you, whatever the issue is. But for some people, doing something physically, coming forward and saying, yes, I want to receive God's grace publicly again. I want to live differently than how I have been. Or if you don't feel comfortable coming forward, just grab someone you trust and ask them to pray with you. Or if you're already a Christian and you just know you've drifted from the Lord and your heart feels cold, maybe you're carrying, like this woman probably was, residual shame from past sin and past mistakes. I believe Jesus wants you to know you don't need to carry that anymore. Because he says to you, like he said to her, you are forgiven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live a life of joy, of dignity, a life of obedience, freedom, and hope. Let's pray and then we'll worship the Lord together.